Good morning, Journey Church. It's good to see everybody here. And is there anyone who hasn't been touched with the crud for the last week? I think we all have got our share of that, some worse than others, but we're glad you're here today to share with us. And uh, it's, I hope that you have a wonderful Thanksgiving week as well. One thing I want to share before I get into the message, and that is that last week we did uh, kind of an approval process of our budget and of our elder and deacon candidates and uh, everything passed uh, unanimously on that. So we're, we're pleased about that. We're excited. We're going to send you uh, this week uh, in the loop, we're going to send a list of those uh, uh, faces and names and profile, but also a list of who will be serving next year as well. So uh, you still got your connection card at this point. Uh, if you're, you do not receive the loop, uh, put the information in there. We'll get that to you and, and you'll get, uh, get that information this week. So that's great. Well, guys, we're, uh, we're going into Thanksgiving week, uh, short week, short work week, a lot going on in our lives, uh, but we're going to focus a little bit on, on the Word of God today because uh, we've been talking for a couple of weeks now on how to Bible, kind of our theme, and today we're going to talk about how to apply the Bible. You know, the next, uh, the next, these, uh, this sermon, the next two are two of my, three of my favorites because we're going to really talk about the practical side of the Bible, and I'm really excited about um, the last message in this series. I'm going to talk about dinosaurs and creation and the flood and how all that works in and and how the Bible's credible. We don't have to question that uh, because uh, it is true, and, and we can definitely see that God's hand was moving in even the archaeology and the things that we've discovered. So uh, it's pretty cool uh, to examine the Bible and, and, and see the reality of it. But today we're talking about how to apply the Bible. And, uh, you know, we need to, what we have in our life needs to be applied in a practical way. When I was in college, I got a major in Bible, which probably wouldn't surprise you, but got a minor in Greek. And, uh, you know, um, that might sound a little bit impressive, you know, uh, that I know Greek, but I got to be honest with you, I, I didn't find it to be all that practical in my ministry. Now, obviously, the New Testament is written in Greek, the Old Testament in Hebrew, the New Testament in Greek. But what I discovered is that almost everything in the Bible has already been gone over several times. It's been mined over. In fact, volumes of research have been written about translating the Greek into English, and I'd never found anything that somebody else hadn't discovered. So that, you know, it kind of, to me, it took a little bit of the, uh, the thrill out of that. And, uh, and researching Greek is kind of tedious, and it's a complicated language. That may sound impressive, it's not really, but what is really not impressive at all is why I got a minor in Greek. And I have to be honest and tell you why I did that, is because I wanted a Bachelor of Arts and not a Bachelor of Science. I just felt like a BA sounded better than BS. Pretty shallow kind of guy when you think about it. Plus, on the other hand, uh, as well as that, there was uh, this Greek club in college, not a fraternity. Now, it wasn't anything cool like that. It was a bunch of nerdy guys, mostly, that just really loved the Greek language. And, and I'm not really a nerd, I, I don't think, but I fell in with that bunch somehow. And uh, so we really got into it, uh, you know, figuring out verbs and articles and all that sort of thing. But the coolest thing was, back in that day, is we all wore belt buckles. Aaron, you remember these, don't you? The ichthus belt buckle. Some of you guys may, have, may or not probably haven't seen that. It was a big brass buckle about that big, kind of like a cowboy buckle, but not cool. And, uh, but it said ichthus on it. And it was, ichthus is, you've seen that with the fish and everything, is Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior, which is really cool. But we thought it was cool to wear those buckles back in the day. And so that's really why I took, got a minor in Greek, and, uh, and I don't use it a great deal because I use a lot of references as well. It was a lot of work, and I don't remember a lot of it, 
Um, but, uh, but I do have that, uh, that BA and not a BS, so I will tell you that. You know, I tell people I probably should have got a minor in moving tables and chairs because that's a lot more practical in ministry than knowing what Greek is, is all about. I'll do a lot more of that. You know, maybe you, when you went to college, you learned a lot of things and you look back and you think, I don't think I've ever used that. Some people feel that way about math. Why don't I have to study math because I never use it or fractions or things like that? But you probably will use it at some point in your life. But you know, the most important question about anything you learn is how do I make it practical? How do I use that in a way that really makes sense in my life? Because you see, using information and and applying something is important because that's how you take that information that you learn, maybe you spend hours studying that, and you put it into practice in a, in a, just a realistic way, in a practical way in your life, your daily schedule. And we're in a study on the Bible, and one thing I want you to know is that we don't study the Bible just to know stuff. We don't study the Bible just to know a lot of facts about the Bible. We study it because it is to be a practical uh, help in our life that we put into practice every day. And so far, we've learned some things. First of all, the first week, we talked about the, the structure of the Bible and, and how the Bible is laid out. And, you know, we don't just start at the beginning and read through. We talked about, you know, beginning with Jesus is one of the things we talked about. And then last week, Dan did a great job talking about how to, how to read the Bible, how to interpret the Bible, which he did an awesome job. But today, we're going to talk about how to apply the Bible to our lives. And this is kind of where the rubber meets the road. And to be honest with you, it's oftentimes difficult. Sometimes this is where people kind of get hung up because, you know, say, well, it's a great story. I mean, some of the narratives in there, if you, don't, if you think the Bible is boring, you need to just, just read it again and read it with insight and, and, and really get into it. It's some amazing, unbelievable, you know, surprising stories in the Bible. And the story of Jesus is the most amazing thing in the world when God became flesh and lived among us. But, but how do you apply that? How do you make that practical in your life? Some people never connect the dots on that. Now, I mean, there are some things that are really simple and obvious, like don't steal, you know, don't kill, be kind, be faithful. I mean, those things are really, really simple there. But there's some things that are confusing. And to be honest with you, some things are just a little bit weird. Like in the Old Testament, some of the dietary laws and some of the dress codes and some of the harsh punishments for what seems to be, you know, minor infractions, you know, why were those things written? Why do we have those things today? And, and how do we interpret them? How do we view them? And how do we put them into practical use in our lives? And in the New Testament sometimes, when it says that women should cover their heads and that men should not wear hats... I mean, today it's the opposite. Most women don't wear hats and most guys do or some guys do. So how do we apply these things to our life today? And are there some things in the Bible that were there for that day and some things that were here for our day? And how do we know the difference in that? And sometimes when there's confusing messages, what do we do with it? Like the Bible says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But then on the other hand, it says, turn the other cheek. So how do we determine, how do we apply that in a practical way? Let's try to make some sense of that. And to do that, we're going to begin with the Old Testament because for most of us, that's probably the most confusing part of the Bible. Last week, we talked about, uh, the, the first week, we talked about the Old Testament is a record of God's covenant with people, primarily in the Old Testament with the Jewish people, the people he chose to be his own, the descendants of Abraham. And obviously, that was before Jesus came into the world. So God dealt with them in a very different way under the old covenant than he does with us today under the new covenant. We talked about the two covenants in the Bible and, and that God dealt with it, them in one way, and now he deals with us in another way. 
So that kind of separates the two. And we said the, the New Testament doesn't replace or negate or undermine the Old Testament. It fulfilled it. And the Old Testament is pointing toward the New Testament, and it gave signs of what was to come specifically about Jesus, because the Bible really is the story of Jesus. The Old Testament was to prepare the people for the coming of Christ. So we're not going to throw the Old Testament out, but we also don't live under the Old Testament today. That is not the law that we live under, nor the covenant of God that we live under, but we understand the new through it. Now, let me explain that because that may be confusing in itself, but let me explain just one event in the Bible or one thing in the Old Testament that that is fulfilled in the new, and that's the idea of the the Passover. Now, the Passover is a big thing. In fact, for the Jewish people, it was a major feast for them that they celebrated every year that pointed back to an, an event in their history. And it was like this. The Jewish people had gone into Egypt as guests when Joseph was uh, second in command. Joseph was a Jewish young man, but had been sold into slavery. He became a ruler uh, because God blessed him in Egypt, saved them during a time of famine, invited his family, and, and they all came down. They were guests in Egypt for 400 years, but after a while, that wore out, and they began to multiply so quickly that the Egyptians put them into slavery. And God wanted to set his people free to go back to their homeland, so he sent a man named Moses to deliver them. But if you know the story, the Egyptians were not anxious to see their workforce walk away, and so they decided to uh, resist God, and God decided to convince them by sending them 10 plagues, each of them a little bit worse than the other. Frogs and hail and flies and all sorts of horrible tragedies came upon them until, until finally the last plague that God sent was the worst, and that was the death of the firstborn of every Egyptian family. God said the death angel is going to pass through the land and will kill the firstborn of every home. But God was going to protect his people in a specific way. God told them, I want you to kill a lamb, a perfect lamb, and put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of your home so the death angel will pass over them. Now, the whole idea of killing an animal seems kind of bizarre to us. We kill an animal to eat it. Uh, but in that day, they would not only eat it, they would also use this as a sacrifice. God had established that very early in history, the, the practice of animal sacrifice to show how seriously he viewed sin and to provide a way for mankind to have their sins paid for, to make amends for their sin. And so God said, kill a lamb, put the blood on the doorpost. The people obeyed God and their families were protected. They were spared. Every home that had blood on the doorpost, the death angel passed over. We know the story goes on. The death plague convinced the Egyptians to let the Israelites go. And so because of that, the Passover became a yearly festival or feast for them and a reminder of God's care and provision. Every year, a lamb would be slaughtered and it would be cooked for the family. Unleavened bread and a cup of wine were set aside. They were not used in the feast. There were several elements that were, but a cup of wine and unleavened bread were set aside. And they were to symbolize the uh, coming Messiah who would one day bring ultimate deliverance, of which the Passover or the, the Passover was a reminder to the deliverance of God. So the Passover was celebrated as a family, a faith community would come together to remind them of their freedom. And that Passover holds some significance for us today because today, a little later in our service, we're going to be having a different kind of meal. We call it the Lord's Supper that Jesus gave to his disciples. And the Lord's Supper takes unleavened bread and a cup of juice to remind us of the death of Jesus. 
In fact, at a Passover meal that Jesus shared with his disciples, we, we have this record. And Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which he's poured out for you. So Jesus took those elements that were a part of the Passover meal that they were using there, the unleavened bread and the, and the cup, and he gave them new and fulfilled ministry, m- meaning they would represent his broken body and his spilled blood through his death, which we would be freed from our sin and passed over from the spiritual death that we deserve that comes from sin. Basically, what Jesus was saying is that he was the sacrificial lamb for the Passover and that his death would deliver us from sin. And so today, 2,000 years later, we still take the bread and the cup as a reminder and symbols of his body and blood given for us. And that's the way the Passover is fulfilled in our lives today. That's how Jesus did that. So that's how Old Testament events and promises are fulfilled in the New Testament through Jesus. And that's how we kind of have to think about these events and these stories is what is God doing? What is God saying? What is he pointing through or pointing to uh, down through history? But you know, that's really simple, but some of the Old Testament laws uh, no longer have validity to us. There are some things that we're just not under because they've already been completely fulfilled in Christ. So let me give you a principle here that we can kind of understand the Old Testament through. And the principle is that all of the Old Testament applies to Christians, It all applies to us, but none of it applies apart from its fulfillment in Christ. None of it applies apart from its fulfillment in Christ because we're not living under that old covenant. So the principle of sacrifice and purity, they still apply to us, but they look different to us as Christians today because they are now viewed in and through Christ. And you know, if you look at it that way, that clears up what a lot of people will view or think of as contradictions in the Bible. We'll talk about more of those in just a few moments. But, but if we look at it all and fulfill, being fulfilled in Christ, it, it, it kind of makes it a little bit clearer to understand. For example, let's take the, um, the, the, the phrases I used a, a few moments ago. The Bible says an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and then it also says turn the other cheek. So don't those things seem to mean the opposite? I mean, doesn't it seem like they're saying contradictory things? Well, let's break it down a little bit and see where each of them came from. The eye for an eye passage is in the Old Testament, and it was about whether you could pursue a personal vendetta and retaliate against somebody who had hurt you. Because you see, at that point, they didn't really have a law, any way to determine, if you do wrong to me, can I get you back? Now, here's the problem with most of us. We don't stop at getting being even we want to get the advantage a little bit. So, so none of us can truly be objective when it comes to getting even with somebody. And do we even have the right to do that? And God says, no, I don't want you to do that at all. God said that an objective judge must determine what was fair compensation and restitution in proportion to the crime. So, so God said, if you offend someone, a judge should determine wh- how, what the retaliation is or what the restitution is. And literally in that day, if you poked a guy's eye out, they poked your eye out. And if you knocked a tooth out, they knocked a tooth out for you. That was the law. That was pretty fair, wasn't it? But it was done legally. And God said, that's how it's done. Jesus came along and things changed, gratefully, well, thankfully, right? Here's what Jesus said. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. 
If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek. And if someone wants you to go, wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So Jesus said, I got a new law for you. It's a new law of love. Instead of fair compensation, an eye for an eye, Jesus said, forgive that person. Forgive them. Look in your heart, forgive them. And in fact, go above and beyond what is expected. That's the one mile and two mile thing. Giving your, taking your shirt, giving your coat also. The law said a minimum, but Jesus said, go above and beyond. And he said that in a lot of things. The law said, do not commit adultery. Jesus said, don't even lust. Don't even lust. The law said, um, don't, don't murder. And Jesus said, don't even hate someone and wish they were dead. So he raises the bar a little bit. That's, he replaces the eye for an eye thing by saying, turn the other cheek and forgive someone. So many passages in the Old Testament were written to prepare us for Jesus. The law was given and then grace was applied on top of that and they were fulfilled by Christ. So remember that principle, all the Old Testament applies to Christians, but none of it applies apart from its fulfillment in Christ. Here's another principle that, that's helpful to understand. We have to view the Scripture through the lens of culture. We have to view the Scripture through the lens of culture. Now, understanding that principle and applying it, we have to be very, very careful because it's easy, really easy to get off track at this point. We have to be careful about how we do that. The Bible is God's Word for all time and to be applied for all people as God's Word for all time, but it was also written in a very specific era of history and much of it reflects the time and the culture of that day. We said a couple of weeks ago that the Bible was written over 1,500 years, the Old Testament to the New, and things changed a lot from the Old Testament culture to the New Testament culture. And obviously, 2,000 years later, things have changed a great deal. However, we have to be careful not to say all of it relates back to their culture. Let me give you an example. The, the dietary laws uh, concerning or the laws concerning clothing. You know, th this is one. For example, there were some things you couldn't eat in the Old Testament. You couldn't eat pork. I mean, we all love a good pork chop, right? So it's not wrong to eat pork, but God had a reason for that. Also, there were, there were laws, there were weird laws about clothes saying that you couldn't wear uh, clothes that were made of two different fabrics, for example. But today, most of our clothing is a blend of different things, right? So, so why is that? Here, here's the thing. God was trying to protect them and train them in obedience. And we don't know exactly why God said don't eat pork or don't wear certain clothes, but God did, and that was his law for them. And he had a purpose for that. The problem is sometimes is that I've heard people dismiss clear and universal moral commands by comparing them to these obscure cultural laws that were specific to the Jewish people. That's where we can get in trouble when we start dismissing everything the Bible says just because we blame everything on culture. And we have to be so careful about that. Usually when that, these obscured laws are pulled out, it's to diminish and undermine some basic teaching that, that someone disagrees with. That's been my experience is go find something obscure and undermine everything with this obscure cultural law for that day. So that kind of explains the Old Testament. But you know what? Even in the Old Testament, we see some cultural issues. For example, Jesus washed the disciples' feet and he commanded them to do the same thing as well. It was a spirit of service that he was telling them to do. 
Now, in our day and age, some churches still wash feet. My grandfather's church, uh, this is going back a few years, but it was a regular practice to wash each other's feet. There's nothing wrong with doing that. However, most of us today probably took a shower this morning, washed our feet, put on clean socks and nice shoes, you know, so you probably, your feet do not need to be washed. Now, if they do, let someone know, and maybe we can accommodate that. But in that day, it was different. When you went to church, you walked several miles on a dusty road, your feet were tired and dirty, and you wore sandals, and you, you know, it was a, a, a nice act of service to do. So the principle is there, serve one another, but not necessarily do you have to wash people's feet because it's not a need. Here's another example of that. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says, I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearl or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Now, that and other scriptures have been taken by some to say that women can't wear jewelry, you know, have to never cut their hair, never have their hair fixed up or anything like that, wear plain clothes. That's not exactly what it says. If you look at the cultural setting, it was written to the church in Ephesus. And in Ephesus was where the temple to the, uh, the goddess Diana uh, was located. And, and the temple prostitutes dressed with elaborate hairstyles and fancy clothes and flashy jewelry. And so what, G, what, what Paul is saying there is don't dress like a prostitute. You know, don't, don't go to church and look like a prostitute, which doesn't that kind of ring true today? It's a little bit different in our culture, but it's a good reminder to dress modestly and, and, and appropriately when you come to worship. See how we can take the culture and understand the Scripture through that, the principle and the application. And some things never change, principle, but we kind of have to understand what's being said there. You know, a lot of people say the Bible is very difficult to read and understand, but it really isn't if you use a little bit of common sense, and if you think, think through this and use some wisdom and ask God, we can understand how to read and apply the Bible. But we really have to, first of all, know the Bible, and we have to be intentional in studying it and trying to live as it teaches us to live. And when we do that, the Bible truly can become transformational. But it requires that we surrender our will to God. You know, I think sometimes it is a blend of not knowing the Bible, but also a resistance to the Bible that keeps the Bible from having much power in our lives. And it all has to do with how we approach the Bible. Let me throw out a couple of mistakes that people made in reading the Bible and how they think about the Bible. The first one is what we'll call the cosmic exception clause. Cosmic exception. You see, some people, they want to view the Bible like this. I know what the Bible says, but... And when someone says it to me, you know, I just want to scream, stop. Could you stop right there? Because anything that follows the but is not going to be good. If you know what the Bible says, and then you're going to give an exception, you're never going to go the right direction when you go from there. You acknowledge the Bible speaks to a specific part of your life. Maybe it's sexually, financially, relationally, morally, but you pull out the cosmic exception clause and say, it doesn't apply to me. It might apply to other people, but it doesn't apply to me. We excuse ourselves because my situation is unique and different, and God certainly understands what I'm doing, and He's okay with that, and God's going to give me a pass. But the Bible was meant to be read for us specifically, not with exception clause, clauses everywhere. And what you're doing is you're putting yourself above God. You're exempting yourself from His commands. 
Here's what it says in 1 John 2. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So he has given us his word, the commands, and there aren't a lot of exceptions to them. I know that we all are special in our own eyes and we feel like, you know, it, it's unusual. God must understand. But when you start giving yourself uh, an, an exception clause, you're on the wrong track. A second way that we can misapply the Bible is the buffet bar approach. Now, who doesn't love a good buffet, right? Or a good carrying meal where there's lots of options out there on the table, you know? We all like that. You go to a buffet or a carry-in, some things you like, some things you don't care for, even if they're good for you. So you only get the things you want. You only pick and choose the things that look good, the things that goes down easy to you. And you, what you take in, you decide. And if you look at the Bible like that, as if the Bible is a buffet bar for you, uh, you're going to only get the com- things that make you comfortable and the things that only make you feel good about yourself. But you're going to miss out on the things that you more than likely need in your life, the things that may be, may be keeping you for growing or keeping you at a distance from God. Because the Bible has a way of cutting through our exceptions and cutting through the defenses that we put up before him. Did you know that Thomas Jefferson did that? There is such thing as a Thomas Jefferson Bible. He went through and he cut out everything that he didn't like or everything that was contrary to reasoning. In other words, many of the miracles, he just cut them out because he didn't think that was reasonable. And then he kind of took away the power of God and he took away the things he didn't agree with. And so his Bible had a lot of cutouts and mark throughs in it. And really, literally, the Thomas Jefferson Bible. Guys, we're not the editor of the Bible. We're not the ones that get to decide what goes into God's Word and what's true and what applies or not. We have to take the easy and the difficult, the comfortable and the uncomfortable, and we have to all view it in the same way because it's all God's Word. The Bible says all Scripture is God-breathed and is used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training instruction in righteousness. So we have to take it all in and view it all equal. It's all authoritative in our life. And then there's one other way that we can misuse Scripture or abuse it, and it is the great compromise. The great compromise, and this is really pretty similar to to a couple of the others there. The great compromise says, I know what the Bible says, but I don't agree with it, and I don't want to do it, and surely God, you know, surely God will understand. I'm going to ignore that, or I'm going to deny that. You know, we don't apply the Bible because we don't want to surrender our lives to Him. We know what the Bible says about something, but we don't want to do it. We know the Bible says that everything we own belongs to Him. We know the Bible says that the first tenth belongs to Him and that we need to be generous in our giving, but we don't want to be generous in our giving, and so we ignore that passage. We just compromise that. We know the Bible says uh, that we, uh, we need to move out of a situation or stop sleeping around. We know the Bible says we ought to forgive, that we ought to repair a relationship, that we ought to go to church, that we ought to serve. We know what it says, but we choose not to do that. And we try to excuse ourselves or deny it or whatever it is. We can't handle the Bible like that with integrity. If we truly view the Bible as the Word of God, it's going to confront us in the places that we need to change. It's going to specifically confront us. Maybe that's why we don't read the Bible, because when we do, we find areas that we don't want to deal with. And that's not integrity either as a Christian. 
But Hebrews chapter four says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So God sees everything in our life. And when you read the Bible, he will point out something to you that will touch the area in your life where you're off base. The Bible penetrates. It judges thoughts and attitudes. And it will cut through to the quick. And it will, it will hurt our hearts. And if we are serious about our faith, we will adjust our life to the truth in God's word. You know, the real question isn't really about how to apply the Bible, but the question is, will you apply the Bible? Will you apply the Bible? You, you can read the Bible with a surrendered heart, ready to do what it says, responsive. When you read it, you start thinking about how do I put this into practice? Or you can read the Bible with a defensive heart that is always looking for what makes you comfortable and happy and ignoring everything else. You can make it say what you want it to say. You can find an exception, a cosmic exception for your situation. You can ignore the difficult. You can pick and choose what you want and excuse yourself from difficult topics. Or you can surrender your heart and comply with God's personal word. And when you think about the fact that when you read, God is speaking to you specifically, that this is the word of God that you are hearing from God in a living way, right where you are, that should have some power and some authority. And the way you read the Bible, your decision will determine if the Bible is truly transformational in your life or if it's just a set of facts that you're learning that you can repeat back, but they, that doesn't have any power, doesn't have any impact, it doesn't make any difference. Only we can decide how we read the Bible and how we apply it. The purpose of the Bible is to change our lives, to turn us to Jesus, and to make us more and more like Him. And it's amazing the truth of God's Word and how it kind of rolls out in our life and how we can understand and how practical it can be and how we can read a Scripture one day and receive one thing, and another day we can hear God speaking in another way in the same Scripture as our lives continue to be transformed. The power of God's Word is amazing, but what I love also is the consistency of God's word. You know, a few moments ago, we talked about the Passover, that amazing event. God worked miracle after miracle to get his people where he wanted them to be and how that was fulfilled in Christ. And the miracle of Jesus coming to our earth, which we're gonna celebrate here in about a month, but that miracle, how that changed the world and how we remember that. And just a moment, we're going to do just that and we're gonna invite you to come and share in our time of communion, the Lord's Supper that Jesus himself instituted as a fulfillment <coughs> of the prophecy of the Passover that he would fulfill and tell us to do this as often as we come together on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, and do this in remembrance of him. And so we see this thread run throughout the Bible, and we see the thread continuing in our world today in a very practical way. As the Bible is fulfilled, God's word is obeyed, as we come and share in this. And that's why it's a very important thing. You know, I have people say, you know, uh, I like to watch you on Facebook, which is great. If you can't be here, watch us on Facebook. But if you can be here, you need to be here because you cannot worship, you cannot share in fellowship, you cannot partake in the Lord's Supper 
watching me on Facebook. Even that's a great tool. We need to be together to worship and share. And so I invite you to come in just a few moments as we share in this time of communion, as we take this cup and this piece of bread that has its history thousands of years before, but was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and today it's living in us. And let's do that as we come together to share in remembering what Jesus has done. If you want to talk about your next step in not just reading the Bible, but taking your next step to come to know Jesus, I'd love to have that conversation with you. Again, next Sunday, be in December, December 1st, we're going to be having a, a, a celebration of baptism. Our baptistry is going to be, I'm assured it's going to be up and open. I believe that. I believe it by faith. And uh, so we're going to have that baptistry ready to go. And if you've never been obedient in baptism, uh, or you'd like to have a conversation about that, see me and we will make that happen next week. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. God, we are humbled by your word. Uh, just this one aspect of you today, your word, the Bible. Uh, God, it tells us about Jesus. It reveals you to us, Lord. And God, we, we just see you in that. God, help us to take the Bible as authoritative and as transformational in our lives. God, give us a love for the Bible, a heart for your truth, Lord. And God, just now as we go to a time of communion and we've talked about the fulfillment and how Jesus brought this one aspect, uh, just one facet of his, um, of his sacrifice was fulfilled in, through the Passover and his death. God, we just want to celebrate that and remember Jesus. Lord, I pray these things in his name. Amen.